Hey, so we're going to continue in our sermon series in Galatians. Listen, if you've been paying attention, then, then you're like, this thing's been on repeat. It sounds like, I don't know, like a Christian top 20 song, right? It's just the same verse over and over and over for the last 10 weeks, right? Because, because Paul has, has been preaching the same thing for the first four chapters of the book of Galatians. Justification by faith alone. Jesus died to save sinners. Trust him. And, and he's been hammering that. He's been hammering it at different ways and different angles, but it's been one mantra, one thing. And that's what he's been saying. He wants you to know that there's, there's two ways to live this life. You can live as a slave, which is trying to obey the law to get the love, or you can live as a free son or a free daughter and receive the free grace and just live free, right? That has been his argument the whole time. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you add anything to that equation, you get nothing. That's over and over been his mantra. But chapter 5 is a turn. As a matter of fact, verse 1 is really a, a hinge point between verse 3 and 4 and 5 through 6. And so that's where we're going to be today, right? So, so let's jump in. We're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 5 to start with, okay? And we're going to take our time here, so don't get nervous because you're like, oh, we got 15 verses and he just did that one for 35 minutes. It'll all get going pretty quickly, kind of like a sled ride down the hill. It starts off a little slow, picks up a little steam, and before you know it, you're cooking with oil and in the pine trees, right? But, but that's how this is going to work. So verse 1, listen, here's the point. Jesus has liberated us. He has liberated us. Therefore, listen, live as free people. That's the point. If you get that and nothing else would I say, that's the whole point. Slaves need freedom. They need freedom. They need to be set free. All people, all humans are held captive by something or by someone and, and, and utterly unable to free themselves. It's a fact, right? The whole human race is held captive by Satan under the power uh, uh, and, and really slaves to sin, right? You don't have a choice. You're born in Adam. You're born in sin. Your nature is to do what you want to do. That's sin. It's in rebellion against God. And every one of us are slaves. We had zero hope or chance or even desire to liberate ourselves. We didn't even want set free. We kind of liked it. To be set free, we needed a liberator. And Jesus is our liberator. And unless a liberator comes to set us free, you and I would remain powerless, helpless, enslaved. But thankfully, Jesus loves to set captives free. That's what he does. That's what he loves to do. Jesus himself declared that in Luke 4.18 when at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he like, he picks up the scroll. I'm, I always try to imagine this moment because it, it's like one of those, oh, that's awesome moments, right? Like he just unrolls it. He reads it and, and he says, I have come to set captives free. And by the way, that has been fulfilled in your hearing. Close it up, drop the mic, sit down. That's why I came he came to seek and to save the lost. He came on a rescue mission. He saw all of humanity just bound and ground into the, I mean, just into sin. And he says, no, no, now it's the time. I'm coming and I'm setting my people free. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus' whole mission was Operation Liberation. I mean, I'm coming to set you free. And it's beautiful. So the, the first part of that verse, for freedom, Christ has set us free. 
He loves to do it. You go from a slave to a son for no other reason than Jesus desires, loves to set hellbound sinners free and bring them into the family to just enjoy him and to enjoy freedom. That's why he did. He, he came as our triumphant warrior and liberator. Is that how you think of Christ? I hope it is. I hope it is because Jesus has liberated us for no other reason than to enjoy the freedom of the gospel. That's what it says. Read it. Jesus For freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did he do that? For freedom. Not because you were going to do anything else. Just enjoy the freedom. Now, there's fruit of that freedom, which he's going to get into in a moment. But he did it because he loves to set slaves free. Okay, listen. Next part of that verse. What's it say? Everybody's doing Stand firm. Stand firm. That's what it says, right? We, we must stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. Stand firm is a, is a military command, right? It is, it's meaning stay alert, be vigilant, right? Don't move, don't waver, resist the attack. Stand firm. Kevin and I were talking about this text earlier in the week, and we were, we'd get this picture of, you ever see the news reporter when like, they're like, it's like a Category 5 hurricane, and like the wind's blowing, and they're like leaning into it, and like there goes a tree in a car, and they're just, they're standing firm. They're not moving. That's what you and I must do, must do in our freedom, right? Because, because gospel freedom was, was freely purchased and freely given, and we receive it by faith. However, you and I must stand firm in that freedom. You, you, can, you can just give it away. That's why we sing, preach, teach, pray, rejoice in the gospel of grace. It's to help you stand firm. It's to help you fight this fight of faith. We, we need reminded of our freedom constantly or we will jump headfirst into slavery once again. I mean, just think about the, the Bible over and over. Think of the book of Exodus, right? They're slaves, they're, they're making bricks. No, you can make bricks without straw now. And you've got to make double the bricks. And it's just slavery, slavery. Moses, listen, God says, Moses, you're going to go set my people free. He's like, whoa, you've got to figure out someone else to do that job. I stutter, right? But he goes. God's with them. God sets his people free. It doesn't take long before they're in the desert, in the wilderness, doing their wandering. And they're like, man, do you remember how awesome it was? Remember, remember man, like we had dates. Like, not like, hey, let's go get coffee, but like, you know, those little fig things, like we get to eat those. It wasn't that bad. I mean, Moses, I mean, God really messed this thing up. I mean, I know he brought us out here to worship, but man, it, was, it wasn't that bad in Egypt. Oh, how many times have we done that? Like, God will rescue us, save us from a particular place, and we say, remember how awesome life was? Man, how much I used to enjoy that. Remember what Saturday nights used to be like? Yeah, they stunk for the most part. Now, there's some, there's some joy in that but not long-lived. And so we long to go back to slavery. Exodus is a great picture of that. But over and over, the Bible shows us this. We're a people who long to enslave ourselves once again. And Jesus has set us free. Say, stand firm. The Bible is very clear. You and I cannot lose our salvation. And if you don't agree with that, come over for lunch today and let's have a vibrant conversation. Because I want you set free from that bad thinking. But if we disagree, that's okay. We can still love one another, right? We can still love one another even if you disagree. I just get to say, told you, in heaven. And I will, if God will allow me. That might be sick. That might be boasting. Well, maybe not. Um, as believers, we've been set free objectively, or, or to say it another way, legally. 
We have been set free. We are justified. That's a fact. It's, it's done. The penalty of sin is paid for in Christ. Done. Finished. However, however, you and I struggle to be free, let's say subjectively or experientially, in our day-to-day life from the power of sin. So we're free from the penalty of sin, yet the power of sin seems to have this great big grip on us. We're free, but we don't always live as though we're free. You know what I mean? Right? Has that been your experience today or yesterday? I mean, I don't know about you. You might all be just killing it, but I'm prone to wonder. Right? I'm prone to drift towards let's say, religion and irreligion, which you're going to hear a lot more about that today, which is why by God's grace and by our own effort, grace isn't opposed to effort, by the way, right? Like, we must stand firm. It's opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. It's grace-driven effort, right? That's not my phrase. I heard that phrase. The first time I ever heard it was, was another preacher, and I thought, oh, that's really good right? Grace-driven effort. You've been set free to do, to do these things, to, to pursue Jesus, to read your Bible, to pray, to be in community. Those things, those aren't earning. That's just, that's what freedom looks like. Prior to that, you couldn't even do that. And so, so we do. Why? Because if not, you will definitely go back into slavery. You will. You'll be a slave once again. So he continues, verse one, look, he says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery don't stand firm don't submit once again a a yoke we don't use this word very often in greensburg right when's the last time you heard anyone in greensburg talk about you might talk to farmers you might hear that but but most often not a yoke was just a piece of wood that they would fasten onto two animals the neck of them so that when they would pull a cart or a plow that would be the thing that they're attached to and they would work together and it's heavy and it bear it like beats down on you right a, a yoke was in this context much more uh, about teaching right it was about bad teaching it was it was a sense it was G, the Jesus plus guys Jesus plus circumcision Jesus plus ex- external things he's saying don't submit to that Don't submit to that teaching. Don't come under that teaching. I set you free from that garbage. Don't do it once again, right? And and so to submit to anything, right, is insanity. To submit to anything that to earn salvation is a yoke of slavery. That's insanity. But worse yet, it's slavery. It's not just a bad idea. It's just going to grind you. It's going to pound you. Once again, religious people love to lay heavy burdens on people. They do. It's not the way of Jesus. He says, don't submit to that. Right? Jesus himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says this. He says, he says, come to me. Gosh, if you could just hear those words for you. For you right now, speaking to you. Come to me. All who labor, trying to earn God's love, you're, you're heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke. You want to take a yoke? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Walk with me. Why? Because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You'll find it. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's gospel. That's gospel. 
Take Jesus' yoke. Listen, if Jesus has set you free, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't submit again to the, the law of trying to earn God's favor, to earn his blessing. Because life's no longer about pleasing the law or attempting to please the law right? That's not the life of a Christian. The law will not make your faith more sincere. Your checklist will not make your faith more sincere. Only Jesus can do that, period. Listen, the law will not purify your conscience, like all those things that just torment you. Jesus did that already, right? Like the law will not cleanse your heart. Why? Because Jesus does that, right? The law will not cause love for others to overflow from the abundance of your heart. Only Jesus would do that. It's about the gospel. It's always about the gospel. But the gospel is about a, a person, and his name's Jesus. He sets you free from this. So the, this kind of gospel teaching that, that adds heavy burdens, um, gospel teaching, gospel preaching, right, and even the, the, the talk of Jesus does this, the law doesn't do that, it makes religious people very nervous. It makes very religious, very uptight people very nervous, right? Because they wrongly think that if you teach that kind of freedom, that kind of gospel teaching, that kind of preaching, they will just go crazy. They will wild out. They will start to do things that, that man, you don't want people to be doing. So we got to just, we just got to throw in a little bit of law, right? It's, it's yes, grace. Of course grace. I mean, yes, like we have grace in, the, in our church name, right? First Church of Grace, right? Like, but a little bit of law goes a long way for people. Wrong. Wrong. I mean, if you have a great spaghetti sauce, what you don't do is just start throwing other stuff in it. You just stick with the sauce. Why? Because the sauce is good, right? And all my Italian brothers and sisters... I saw a test of faith. Yeah, you can speak. This is a good thing. Listen, so the Pharisees were loving to sprinkle in a little law to keep the church in line. That's what they thought they were doing. They thought they were doing a good thing. Jesus said, don't submit to that. Do not do that. That's legalism. That's legalism. Paul is ruthlessly working to destruct the false teaching that's happening in this church because he knows what's happening if it doesn't, right? If he doesn't do that, he knows what happens. The only way for you to continue to remain free and to stand firm in your freedom is to drink down one big full glass of 190 proof of gospel every day. I mean, bottoms up, baby. Pour it, drink it every day. If you don't, you will submit again, once again, to a yoke of slavery. But if you will... If you'll wake up every day and take that shot of gospel into your heart and into your soul, you will adore, love, worship Jesus. That's the fruit of that kind of living, not lawlessness. And, and here's the beautiful thing. A heart that loves Jesus doesn't lead to religion, and it doesn't lead to rebellion. It doesn't lead to either one of those. It leads to love, and that's where he's going to go next. We've got to get past the thought that sinning is just breaking some rules right? Instead, it's much more relational. It's, it's, it's grieving the heart of your father. And his love for you doesn't change in that moment. It only abounds. It only grows more and more towards his child because there you go again, submitting to your slavery. He's like, I set you free from that. Why are you doing this? He's not surprised, but, but his love, his mercy, his grace abounds to you in that moment. It abounds to you. <laughs> no, I'm for you. 
Look to the cross. Remind yourself of the resurrection. I'm with you. I've given you myself. You have my spirit dwelling in you. Why would you put that yoke of slavery on you? Stand firm. I mean, this, this is the heart of our God. Jesus' love for us and our love for him are the only things that will keep us from abusing our freedom. Make sure you know that. Like, neither religion or irreligion is going to have the power to keep you walking with your God. It's only love. It's love, right? To, to, to show this or to illustrate it, here's a great illustration from a book entitled Surprised by Grace. Um, by the way, I'm not sure. I looked this up and I couldn't find out the answer. If this really happened or if this is like, a, like parabolic. Right, if it's a story, but either way, it's very powerful. So, so listen, um, it's a story from the Civil War, right? And days before American slaves were freed, a northerner went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. R- really, if you, listen up to this story, because this has the power to literally transform the way you think. Okay, and, and they walked away from the auction. So, so this man purchased this young slave girl, and they walked away from the auction. And the man turned to the girl and he he told her. Listen to this. You're free. You're free. With amazement, she responds, you, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? And he said, yes. Yes. And, and to say whatever I want. And just imagine, this girl knows nothing like this. Yes, anything. And, and to be whatever I want to be. Yeah. And, and to go wherever I want to go. Yes, he said with a smile, you are free to go wherever you would like. She looked at him intently. Just picture it. Then I'll go with you. I will go with you. (laughs) I mean, do do you get that? That's gospel freedom. There's nowhere else I want to be. I want to be with you. You're free. I know. I'm free to be with you. Where else would I go? That's gospel freedom. No law. You're free. Go. I don't want to go anywhere except with you. Do you get it? Oh, gosh, help us to get that, Lord. The writer then says, Some free, some fear, I'm sorry, that grace delivered, blood bought, radical freedom will result in loveless license. But as the above story illustrates, redeeming unconditional love alone, not fear, not guilt, not shame, carries the power to compel a heartfelt loyalty to the one who bought us. By the way, I will tell you right now, some will run from grace. I read this, Steve Brown, I think, said this. Some will run from grace, some will run from law, but the ones who run from grace, they come home. The ones who run from law almost never come home. Almost never come home. Just think of the, anytime you hear that or think that, I always think of the prodigal son, which really isn't about just the prodigal son because you've got the older brother. Both of them are just trying to earn love in different ways. One's wiling out through irreligion. One is, I'm doing all the right things. And the father's like, I love both of you. I don't know why you're acting like knuckleheads. And both of them were, right? Um, Freedom and life come only through Jesus and the gospel. Therefore, we must stand firm. The Galatians were The churches in Galatia were serious danger of not doing that. All right, that's verse 1. We're going to be just fine. Let's keep going. Look at verse 2. 
Look, I, Paul, say to you. I'm going to do a little bit of reading, a little bit of talking, then we're going to get through some of this section, right? Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, every man in here is like, why would you do that? Well, because it's not about the act as much as it is the outward expression of the religion that said, you're his, right? Christ will be of no advantage to you. So if you want to do this external religious thing, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, this outward you know, working to get God's favor, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. So you want to do some religion? Do it all. Do it all. That's his message. I forget, it's 600 and some odd laws. In, in the first five books of the Bible. Uh, 639, could be wrong, check me, look. But it's 600 something. You want to do the law? You don't just get the, this is not like law a la carte. You don't just get the, I like that. Yeah, because I can do that. I'm doing that, right? You know, I, I could do that. Can't do that today. Let's put that one back. And he says, if you want to be a law person, do it all. Well, that's a problem because none of us can do it. Okay. He continues, by the way, if that's you, listen to these words. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Whoa, that should cause you some challenges, right? I mean, seriously, when Kevin and I were reading this, like, that's, that's, that's like does this mean you can lose your salvation? Is that what that says? Um, some would actually interpret that to maybe say that, but I don't think that's at all. Actually, remove the word, I don't think. That's not what it means. It's not what it means. When you take the totality of the Bible, that's not what it means. However, one thing I've noticed within, let's say, let's call them reform circles, they'll see that and say, that ain't for me. They just keep reading. But I want you to know, listen, some would interpret this warning to teach that you could lose your salvation. Others would just ignore it altogether. And I don't think either of those are a good way of handling the text. The Bible is clear that you and I cannot lose our salvation. The question is, do you have salvation? That is always the question when it comes to the Bible. And if you do have salvation, then you can't lose your salvation because you did nothing to earn it. However, what I'm saying with this text, what do you do with this text if you're a believer? Well, what you, the, the wrong thing to do with this is say it's not for me because I'm telling you, God puts these kinds of, of warnings in the Bible to keep you. To keep you. Think about it. Um, you, you cannot lose your salvation because you did nothing to earn it. Jesus doesn't lose sheep, period. He's a good shepherd. However, don't take the heat out of the kitchen in a text when it's meant to be there because this warning is meant to help us persevere in faith. It's not just yippy skippy. Oh, once saved, always saved. When people say that, I have to dig a little deeper. What do you mean by that? Because you are saved, but the Bible teaches you're being saved, and the Bible teaches you will finally be saved at one point. But it's not that these warnings are a means of that grace of persevering. Keep running. Why? Because you don't want to be severed from this. Don't submit to the law. You don't want to be severed, right? So, so what's the deal then? Those who fall away from grace show that they truly never belong to God. Don't believe me? 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from, from among us, our, our gathering, our church, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. 
you, you get what's being said. Listen, if, if, if Kevin all of a sudden just shipwrecks his faith, I picked him because I'm like, eh, I don't want to pick on myself this morning. And he just blows it, right? And, and he just one day wakes up and says, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And, and none of this was true. You know what? It isn't that he lost his salvation. He probably never had it. Or he does have it, and he's going to enter a stage of rebellion, and God will bring him back around, Lord willing right? And, and so when you see people deconstructing their faith right now, don't put your faith in a man other than Jesus. Don't be surprised. Be grieved. Pray. And then wait and see because you don't know how it turns out in the end. They could come back around. They could maybe look like to you that never were saved. But we don't know. We'll know in heaven. But until then, don't be taken off guard. So listen, if you are in Christ, because I know some people are tortured by this, you are saved. You're justified. And you're being saved. He's making you more like his son. And there will come a day you will finally be saved. Where do you see that in the Bible? All over. But let's just take one text, Romans 8.30. This is the unbreakable chain of salvation, by the way. Right. Look at Romans 8.30. It says, and those, or just listen, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, listen, he also glorified. Past tense. It's done. In God's sight, it's done. And yet it's still happening in real time. So the liberating truth of the gospel is that God's love and approval for us really has nothing to do with us. He didn't save you because you were awesome or lovable. He died in your place to make you lovable, to cover your sin, to, to make a new you. You have been born again, and you can't unborn yourself. You just can't. So you're his. You're in his good grip, yet hear the warning and let it have its weight. Salvation starts with grace, continues with grace, and, and by God's grace, it concludes with grace. The whole life of Christian living is one of grace. Jesus did it all. Jesus does it all. It's finished. <laughs> That's good news. If you're in Christ, then listen, you're clothed with an irremovable suit of love and forgiveness. That's a fact. Well, it may not always feel that way. <laughs> Anybody? Right? It doesn't, doesn't always feel that way. Well, picking up back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, listen to this. For through the Spirit by faith, we eagerly ourselves, listen, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I thought I was righteous. You are righteous. In the courtroom of heaven, the, the, the gavel has been banged. You have been declared innocent. You have been declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. But, but that is not our everyday living because we're essentially becoming what we already are. Your living in day-to-day -day life is not always awesome, righteous, Scott Rising. Or add your name into that. That's not always the case. So, so when you blow it, man, I'm just trying to love Jesus. I'm trying to love my neighbors. And there I go again. And I blew it eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And this word hope doesn't mean, gosh, I hope it happens. Ah, like, you know, I hope I get ice cream on December 22nd for my birthday. That's not what the word hope means in the Bible. It's sure. It's fixed. It's guaranteed. Mark it. It's yours. For in Christ Jesus, listen to verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only Faith working through love. 
Listen, summary of that section is the Galatians are either going to trust in circumcision, what they do, or they are going to trust in Christ, what he did. It's been the point. If you've not heard anything else for the last eight to ten weeks, you've heard that. All right, so let's keep rolling. I told you it's going to be like a sled ride now. All right, you were running well. He's talking to the church. You were running well. You were off and going so well. You were loving Jesus. You were loving one another. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? What is the truth? That Jesus did it all, and you don't need to add any of your legalism in to get saved. He says, listen, this persuasion is not from Jesus who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, Paul, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? A little side note, listen. They must be saying, this is what Paul's teaching. You must have heard him wrong. He's still doing this thing. He's saying, no, if that was the case, why would they be trying to kill me? Obviously, that's not the case. They're lying to you. Can you not see that they're lying to you? That, by the way, that little leaven, that little bit gets into this family. It's going to destroy the whole lump. You got to get rid of it. I love how he comes back to the trust in God's sovereignty over this people. But I, I know, I trust the Lord. You are going to take no other view. You see that? He says, listen, why am I being persecuted? If, if in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, earmuffs. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Ear must for the kids. They don't even know what that means. But you know what it means. And that's pretty awkward. Imagine that getting read on, on Sunday morning to the church. Oh, you want to do some religion? Go all the way. I mean, that's exactly what he's saying. I'm not going to go any further. We can talk at lunch. That's some serious and strong language. I mean, don't miss the tone of Paul's letter here. John Stott says this. He says, this is a wish, he says, born not of thirst for revenge, but of deep love for people, for God's people. So this is his quote. He says, I venture to say that if we were concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers might cease from the land. You hear him? He said, you're running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying this truth, the truth of God's word? Feel the pain in his writing. Look, this church was birthed by the gospel proclamation. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of faith. They believed it. It, it was all of faith, and they were running well. They were enjoying one another. Listen, this is why you and I as a church family must be about preaching and teaching the gospel constantly, pounding it in the head. It's not something you just do when we get saved, and then we move on to something greater and better. Get the real meat of teaching. Let's talk about some strange oddities in the word no my mark mark my friend said last week at the men's bible study he quoted alistair Begg. he said the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things let's keep pounding that and that's what we're going to do you ever seen someone just what i can't see the clock right now 13 minutes oh my let's work <laughs> skip that skip that that was amazing you would have loved that all right. No, I'm good. That was a joke anyway. But I did skip some things. All right, listen. Listen. Look at verse 6 once again. So going back to the thought of preaching, teaching, singing, praying, being a gospel people. That's really what's being said in verse 6. For in Christ, 
right? For, if you're in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only faith working through love. He's reminding them of the gospel by doing this. So listen, not your religion, not your moral efforts, your legalism, that doesn't count for anything. Or, now he throws this in, irreligion, your moral, moral failures, your rebellion. None of that counts for anything or adds to anything or subtracts to anything when it comes to establishing a relationship with God. Only faith working through love. See that? You can't be good enough to get to God, nor can you be so wicked that you have no opportunity to receive the grace that Jesus has provided. That's what he's saying, right? So like religion, I mean, you, you were born, right, on, on the perfect day. You were born December 25th, right? And you were born in the church on the altar, right? The, the, the pastor slapped your tushy. You said Jesus. You got circumcised on the first day because the eighth day, that's for losers. And like everyone rejoiced. That's religion. Or irreligion, you got, I don't know, um, hmm, this could get wild. So I'm reining it in. You were, you know, maybe it was at Hugo's, right, at the bar up the street right here. And, and you just slid out on the bar. No one circumcised you. They gave you a shot. They started, you started watching, not Veggie Tales. It was SpongeBob. It was really bad. And, and now, like, right, right, neither of those things count for anything. Neither. Quit looking at you. It's only those who trust in Christ. It's faith. It's trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, working through love. Working through love. In the gospel, God has eradicated our moralistic efforts, our moralistic categories, and declared bad people holy because of the blood of Christ and faith in him. Do you believe this? If so, then what's the marker? Love. Love. Not religion. Re By the way, religion's all about you. It's all about your rules. It's all about your control. It's all about your righteousness. And, and it leads to you being generally a prideful J-E-R-K. Right? Say that for the kids. Earmuffs. You're, you're <laughs> you, you all are my people. Listen, you're always looking at yourself in you're just so proud of yourself. You're just like, I'm awesome. And gosh darn it, people like me. And then you look down upon other people according to the standards that you have set. And you essentially say, yeah, they're losers. And you feel good about that. Like you like to measure yourself compared to that person. That's why everyone always goes, well, at least I'm not as bad as Hitler. Right? Like, oh, wow, you haven't killed six million Jews. I don't know if it's impressive. But you use that as an opportunity to boast about you and yourself. You attempt to control people and situations. That's what religion does. You're probably harsh. You're probably no fun to be around. You're always judging everyone by your standard. Problem is, it doesn't work. And you know it. That's why you go from pride to despair. And you vacillate back and forth because you know you're a hypocrite. At the end of the day, you know you're blowing it too. You might be better than Hitler. Woohoo, good for you. But you still know you're not good enough. And so it generally leads to pride, despair, and they're generally led by fear and insecurity. Religious people are the most fearful, insecure people I've ever met in my entire life. And you're a navel gazer because it's about you. But it doesn't set you free to love Jesus or anyone else for that matter. And everybody in here is like, yeah, get them. Get those religious folks. Well, how about the irreligious folks? Let's make sure we bring them into the party, because Paul now has after four chapters. 
This is all irreligion or or rebellion, maybe that's a better way to say it, is all about you too. You don't care about rules. Aren't you awesome? You think everyone's trying to control you. Your motto is turned down for what? Live for today, right? Because tomorrow you will die. It's about you. You're not a jerk at all. You're pretty awesome. You're the life of the party. But all too often, you are a joke. You're always looking at yourself. And, and you're, you admire how cool you are and how uncool all the fun busters are. And you look down on them because they're too tight and too judgmental. But you're really doing the same thing with them. And you're no better. They don't live to your standard. And so the problem is, you know that doesn't work. You always end up drinking from the same fountains hoping to be, get your thirst quenched. never works. And so you end up using everyone and everything around you. And generally, you're insecure too. And you're very depressed. And you're a navel gazer because you keep going to these things hoping that they'll live up to your expectation. And they never can because they're not God. And both of those are about yourself. Neither of them lead to love. But faith does, right? Neither one of those people, religious or irreligious people, are free to love anyone but themselves. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt? Yeah, good, me too. Notice, though, we, we tend to lend ourselves to one or the other, right? I, I guarantee it. If I sat down with every one of you, you would tell me, I tend to lend myself towards religion or I tend to lend myself towards rebellion. And you might vacillate between the two, but, but I want you to notice something. Listen, first off, little side note, seven minutes, we're not going to do that, but we'll get close. Imagine, you know how they catch monkeys in other countries? I'll wake some of you up because you're like, I'm dazed. This is weird, but they, they actually take a coconut, they drill a hole for the little monkey's hand to fit in, and then they drill a little hole on the other end, and they attach it to a tree or something that'll hold it, and they put a stick in there, and they generally put some honey on it, and some nuts, and all these different things, and the little monkey sticks his hand in the hole, and he grabs it, and when he makes a fist, his hand is too big to pull out of. Now, is the monkey free, yes or no? Exactly. Huh. In one regard, he is, because all he has to do is what? Let it go. Let it go. Right? And he can just walk away. But I got to have it. I got to have it. Religious folks, irreligious folks do that. What is it that you hold on to even though you're free? In that moment, you're not standing firm in your freedom to go back to verse 1. You're not standing firm in your freedom. You are captivated by something or something's captivated you. But all you have to do is open your hands and receive grace, receive forgiveness, and you won't. You'll white knuckle it. You'll hold on to it. By the way, this happens. The monkey's got that thing. It could watch a hunter walk right up to it, and he knows what the hunter's going to do, but he still wants that thing, so he won't let it go, so he's enslaved. But he's free. This happens all the time in Christianity. Open your hands. Receive. Receive grace. Receive the forgiveness and stand firm in your freedom. So what's the marker of standing firm in your freedom? It's love. The gospel frees us to love God and to love others. Because in that moment, it causes us to look away from ourselves and look to a bloody cross and know that I'm loved every time I look at what Christ has done to save me. Which brings us to our last two verses. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. The point is this, Jesus, I'm going to read the verse in a moment, but, but listen, Jesus has liberated us to live, live to freely love and serve one another. It's not complicated. Look at it. 
For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It appears, listen, Paul anticipates a, a, a possible oversteering in his teaching that they might think he's oversteered, right, uh, on freedom from the law. And so what he does, he says, yes, it's true that we're saved by grace alone. That's a fact. Through faith alone. That's a fact. In Christ alone. That's a fact. However, that faith does not remain alone if it's real. See, see what he's saying? We don't love to get saved, but if you are saved, boy, you will love. Faith in Jesus always expresses itself in love. Love for God, love for one another. Faith in Jesus is, is the root, right? And love is the fruit. You see that? That's exactly what he's saying. Because someone might say, oh, there it is. <laughs> Religious roles. Knew that was coming. I thought we were free, huh? Hmm? Thought we were free. Now you're telling us to love. You're, you know, you're free to love. You're freed to love. So what is freedom? I would define it as this. Freedom is ultimately the unhindered ability to do what I want most. Well, the beauty of the gospel is he frees you to do what you want most. And if you're a Christian, what you want most is to love God and to love others. Why? Because you are now a new creation and his spirit lives in you and he delights to love. That's who he is. It's not always my natural bent because I'm still stuck in some kind of slavery. I'm a monkey with my hand in the, in the coconut. But man, when I'm walking by the Spirit, when I'm led by the Spirit, that's next week. When I'm living by the Spirit, you'll know because of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the mark of the Christian. Not to get saved, but the proof that we are. Those who are in Christ are free to love. That's real freedom, by the way. Augustine said this. He said, love God and do whatever you please. Think about that. For the soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Let that be your mantra. Love God and do as you please. Then I can sin. No, because it doesn't love God. It doesn't love neighbor. It loves you. You can't love God and sin. Because it's antithetical to who he is. He himself is love. Fam, if we love Jesus most, we'll love others best. That's a fact. There's a reason why Jesus said that the second greatest commandment is like the first. Don't miss that, right? If we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you and I will love our neighbors as ourselves. Look at, just listen, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends, depend all the law and prophets. Do you get what's being said? You can't say, I love God this much and I love people this much. It doesn't work that way. You cannot do that. You can't say, I love people this much and I love God this much. They grow together. And so if you love your, your husband, your wife, your neighbor very little, it's, it's, it's a love problem. But the love is the fact that you're not receiving the love that God has for you. Because as you understand that more, you will love him more. As you love him more, you will certainly love other people in direct proportion. That's why religion's always such a lie. It says, I love God this much and you're a bunch of losers. Wrong. 
That's why license or, or irreligion is such a lie, because it says, I love me and other people like this, but I don't love God at all. No, you just love yourself. Both are self-focused. But when we're loving God, the mark is that you will love one another. And that's exactly what he says in the text. Notice that in Galatians 5, 13. He says, you're called for freedom. He, listen, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't even mention loving God. Why? Because he knows that you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love God. They go together. They go together. It functions like faith and works, right? If we truly have faith, then the second will follow. If, if I have faith, works will follow. But, but if Jesus is not the delight of your heart and the affections and the supreme love of your life, there's no way you and I will love our neighbors because we will be too busy loving ourselves. So you ready for some real talk? None of us are perfectly free in one regard. That's why we eagerly await. We're perfectly free in the courtroom of heaven. But you and I are entangled often, often. It's why we have to constantly stand firm. Each of us have things that entangle us that keep us from loving one another, from fully giving ourselves to one another, right? In what ways are you not currently free? Ask yourself that. Ask the Lord to do a diagnostic work in your heart. You can put the mask on for an hour and a half, or if you're cool and you come over for lunch, that means that if you don't, you're not cool. Uh, just kidding. Then, then what happens in that moment is, is you think you got everybody fooled. So consider, what, does, what keeps you entangled? Consider anger. Self-pity? Pride? Fear? Doubt? Feelings of inferiority? Feelings of superiority? Bitterness? Coveting? Fear of failure? Comfort? on and on. You just think, well, no, that's just, that's my heritage. That's my family. No, those are things that keep you stuck from loving. They just keep you stuck because they're all about you. And, and, and if you want to see where that happens, think about primarily your life with the people you're closest to because everybody can do it well for an hour and a half. What about home on a Wednesday night when everybody's tired? Anybody now feel like, oh, I was stuck this week? Just me? Okay, cool. Um, look at verse 15, then we're, we're going to be done very quickly. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This is interesting language, by the way. This, this, this language refers to like beast-like behavior, animal-like behavior. If we go around taking chunks out of one another, then we will be consumed by one another, like a, like a, 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 a rabid honey badger, right? Just think about that for a moment. Because honey badgers, that's a wild creature, by the way. They really are. Like, they just take what they want. They don't care, right? So, so biting and devouring in the church, what's that look like? Not like the honey badger. It's malicious talk. It's gossip, slander, on and on. That's not the work of the Spirit. Well, maybe little s spirit with demonic in front of it. It's not the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't know if you've been paying attention to the church throughout this whole, can we even say it, the pandemic COVID thing? I've seen a lot of people biting chunks. You know, if you love people, you'd wear a mask and get your, your vaccination because you just want, you want old people to die. And then other people are like, man, if you get that, then that means you're submitting to crazy thinking because they just want to control us. And so you're, you're led by fear. And we don't know either of those to be true. So we're led by our conscience, but we're led by love. What's most loving? So if you want me to wear a hazmat suit to come visit you, 
just supply one because I don't got it. I'll come visit you in a hazmat suit, right? If you're like, you don't have to wear that at all. Great, I won't wear that at all. Why? Because it's not about me. Jesus saves us so we can love one another and serve one another. The reason we love others best when we love Jesus most is that we, we trust in his pure love that comes from the Father. Last text and then we're done. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent His only Son, notice the gospel, into the world. Why? So that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us, sent His Son to be the propitiation, the wrath absorber, the one who went and stood in the gap between God the Father and sinful humanity, received the just penalty that we deserve for our sins. Beloved, listen, if God has so loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. Love's fundamental to the nature of God. It's fundamental. We're only able to love Jesus and serve one another and love one another because he loved us first. That's why we always go back to the gospel. It's not gospel, now we go on to what we do. What we do flows from what he's done, right? And so in any given city, a local church ought to be the epicenter of love. It ought to be. It's not the place where we go and we just church it up. No, it's the place where I go to see the love of Christ displayed for the world to see. And when we blow it, and you will blow it, you probably blowed it this week. We don't make up excuses and put on our Instagram faces. What we do is we come clean because repentance and, and confession, we can do that freely because we're forgiven freely. We don't need to run. We don't need to hide. Take off your little spiritual fig leaves. Come into the light. Receive the grace. Receive the forgiveness. Receive the cleansing that's constantly available to you because you walk constantly in state of grace. So quit faking because he can see. And if you're living for an audience of one, it looks stupid when you do it anyway. Talking to myself. Talking to myself. I so desperately want us to love Christ and the local church. That's my agenda with you. So if you keep with us, that's what I want. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm working towards. I want to see us love. Why? Because it magnifies Christ. That is how we magnify Jesus in the city of Greensburg. We love. God, help us to love you and others like that. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel because it is the good news that Jesus Christ has died for sinners. And so, Father, we, we thank you that you have fixed your love upon us. God, I pray that you would continue to stir up our affections and our love towards you and that that would flow out to one another and into the city. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.